in building a business yet, I haven't experienced a ton of failure. I'm a little naive to it. When people say, that is amazing. I'm like, oh, I just, this is what feels normal to me, you know? So I think that that has been the most surprising really is that we haven't paid for any ads yet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We're almost two years in and we've got a wait list still. One of the unfair advantages we had coming into this is Jesse's network. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Is it is it Seva? Is that how you pronounce Sieva. it? Sieva. Sieva. Okay, yeah, I butchered it. Sorry about that. <laughs> so thank you for joining me today. Um, I'm super excited to interview you and learn a little bit about your story, your background, how you got to where you are today, because it doesn't seem like you've had a conventional startup story. Uh, as far as I can tell, you know, every other startup person I know, they either dropped out of college to start a startup or they did right after college and they've always been tinkering with companies. But your story, from what I can tell on LinkedIn and whatnot, it seems like you went and you got a real job and you worked at a real company for a decade. Um, and now you're you're running this really successful uh, company. Um, so I'm looking forward to learning about that. But I guess, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and anything that, that you think folks should know about you. First of all, thanks for having me, actually. It's nice to, to be able to connect with people and share the story and it could inspire somebody else, which, which feels awesome. But uh, yeah, I grew up in St. Louis. Actually, uh, my co-founder and I met in seventh grade. We had algebra together and he's like a brother to me and, and I'm a sister to him now pretty much. But we met back then, kind of grew up, uh, had, our, had our childhood in, in St. Louis. I went to school in North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And then kind of between my uh, junior and senior year of college, I took an internship with a trading firm here in Chicago and came back with, when I got the full-time offer from them, came back. I was coming out of an undergraduate uh, business program, highly ranked one. So your your options, if you were quote unquote doing it right, were, were trading, consulting, or banking. And trading was a lot more fast paced, which I liked. So I, I started uh, trading for them right after school. And, you know, and obviously stayed with them for a very long time. A couple years into trading, I kind of leaned into a partner and I was like, you know, they had about a hundred people at the company, but you, it was well known that we were going to grow and scale pretty quickly that this company. And I kind of leaned into a trader and I was like, Hey, like I, I really, I want to start your, your recruiting portion of the business. And he, I mean, like literally he was like, yeah, you should do that. Go for it. And just gave me the green light. And so it was awesome. You know, you don't get that opportunity all the time, but I, I thank him a lot for that. But, you know, gave me the opportunity to build something within, uh, I kind of had the safety net of being within a company and having some supports, but I built their campus recruiting education program, like learning and development. When I was there, like in that seat, you know, I, I built a whole team eventually, but when I was in that seat, we hired probably 400 people in, in my time there. Once wow. I kind of built that well-oiled machine. So yeah, so the company kind of, of during people. my time there, the company overall, I think got up to probably seven, seven fifty from that hundred when I started or less than hundred when I started. So, and, and I was responsible for a large portion of those and kind of building something that would live on to. What exactly were they doing? Can you, can you educate? Like, I don't know anything about trading yeah. firms. So you, you're going to have to tell me like I'm a five-year-old, but what did they do? And like, why were they so successful that they could grow so fast? Yeah, so it was a proprietary trading firm, which means they don't have any outside investors. They trade the firm's capital. So candidates typically had a very good like math acumen. They could do math very quickly on the fly in their head. Math problems made sense to them. They were fun to them. 
it kind of actually started, you know, when I was there, it was more trading was still on the floor. So I was actually, I did my internship in the pits on, you know, in the Chicago board of trade, but it, and it's continued to be into floor in the floor. There's still some people on the floor actually, but it's phased out over the last 10 years or so. There were right at the time when I joined the screen trading was starting to take over the volume from the floor. So there was another element of uh, not just the physical piece of being and the aggressive piece of being on the floor. You had to have that. Now you didn't necessarily need that piece, but you did need someone with some software knowledge or some advanced Excel. And like I said, that that math acumen in general was very successful in that position or could be. So, and, and someone who liked not an academic so much, academics kind of like that long, they're much more comfortable with the long turnaround for their questions and, and answers, kind of that feedback loop, where traders want that very quick feedback loop. So the the candidate shift that happened when I was there was focused, all of a sudden we were searching for people who didn't have finance backgrounds. We were looking for engineers and convincing them of finance being a, you know, trading being a great career opportunity for them, which many of them are wildly successful in it and love it. So, so that that's what I spent a lot of my time doing there which also involved building things like a, like an interview, an internship program. So kind of building your talent pipeline before you needed it. That's a, in that position within that firm, you know, I gained a lot of the people ops. I was designing, like I said, the learning and development program that came after you onboarded someone who had no idea about trading, what it was or finance in general in the markets. There was a whole onboarding that had to happen after that so that by the time they got to the desk, they were somewhat effective. So I designed that program. So this was like your first, that that really was, it was like internal to a company, but it was basically a startup uh, around people management and recruitment and talent management. Yeah, 100%. And the, I call the it company was growing so fast just because it, it was like an incredible training firm, I guess. Because from 100 yeah. to 700 employees, that's that's amazing. Yeah, you know, and, and it was a wild time. In 2009, I was actually at a career fair at MIT the day the, of the Lehman Brothers incident. And our firm was was able to, to take a, a large piece of that position and liquidate it. Partly because of that, then they had a bunch of excess capital at that point. Real estate starts crashing at that point. And so they take that capital as traders do and invest it in what they believe is a depreciation depreciated asset at that time. Thinking that, you know, that the long play is that you either develop these things and they they will gain value over time, right? So that was about the time I had built that well-oiled machine in in recruitment. Can I ask one more um, question on that? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, just because like this is a totally new world for me and I feel like a five-year-old. Um, when you say they were part of, they like liquidated the Lehman position and made a bunch, what it sounds like a bunch of money on it. What, what does that mean in kind of simple, uh, terms? Yeah. So the market's always two-sided, right? Someone loses something, someone gains something, right? So if a, uh, if someone was holding a trading position, Lehman brothers, whoever, like whoever is holding a trading position that is losing money someone on the other side is gaining money. So that is the very basic way of just how, I guess, markets operate in general. And I guess one way to do that would be to like short the company, for example. Like somebody who is shorting a company is making a ton of money if they're, if they're, if the other side is failing, right? Yes, because they're betting that the, the, that company will drop in value. 
I guess the simplest version. When the markets crashed, you know, in 2009, that was very good for the positions that this trading firm was holding. The variety of strategic decisions that went into that and how they managed their risk put them in a, in a great position for that. Some of the smartest people I've ever met work for this firm, started this firm, Don Wilson's genius. But it's not just one thing. They were, they prepared for something like this indirectly for a very long time. Like I said, there was risk management involved in all that as well. The, what ended up happening, the so what, is that they got, they were then had a lot of capital. It was a very good year. And at the same time, real estate's crashing. So they invested in some key real estate plays. This is, happens to be happening at the same time. I've kind of built this well-oiled machine in the recruitment area. And so I talked with another partner who was starting the real estate group that was starting because we were buying all these, buying all the real estate. So now you got to start the group. So again, like kind of jumped to an opportunity to build something. And so I joined their, the real estate group and kind of built that up. So I did, you wear a lot of hats, just like I do now in a startup, but I was doing all their commercial leasing, some project, like ground up development work for them, project management of that and some asset management for, for some of their hospitality units. So the real estate group just kept multiplying and multiplying. It was a very fun time to work with that team. Fast forward, you know five or six more years past that. I, I was ready for that next thing, but I was ready to do it on my own. So, you know, I had been thinking for a very long time, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And while doing that, like while working, I dedicate myself to whatever I'm in. So I didn't necessarily carve out the right time. I didn't, unless I would stop, I don't think I would have ever have taken the time to actually be able to think about it. So my plan was, okay, I'm going to leave this company after so long, I'm going to leave this company and I'm going to take a couple months. I'm going to figure this out. This is going to be my project. This is what I'm going to do of what I'm going to start. So that was my last day was the last day of February, 2020. And like, I think 10 days later, COVID hits the US. So my whole plan for like meditation and all of that changed real quick. It became quite the opposite became quite the opposite. I had two kids who are both young elementary school students. And so now I'm a stay-at-home teacher mm -hmm. uh, during COVID when, when my kids were home for you know over a year. A few months into that, I did take on some consulting. I started some HR consulting work, partly probably out of fear. Like it was a weird time. Like there, there all of a sudden there were no jobs to even look for. If I decided now is not the now is not the right time to make, you know, to make a jump to start your own thing. I'm watching my 401k tank as the markets tank. And so I'm like, all right, I'm just going to take some consulting work. So I took some consulting work. It was supposed to be a six week engagement. It ended up lasting six months, kind of building this, this HR org. And I was like, all right, now I'm getting the feel of like, I think more of something of what I want to do. And so at the end of 2021, sorry, 2020, I'm catching up with my friend, Jesse, the seventh from seventh grade, my co-founder who, who I mentioned earlier. We're just like shooting the breeze. Hey, what's on your list to to create? Because he was in a similar space of like ready to build. And I was like, here's what's on my list. And we got to this one on his list. Did not start the conversation as like, what are we going to do together? Never even thought we would be in business together. And got to this one on his list. And it was like, wow, this is, this is exactly what we're supposed to be doing together. Like both of us. So we, um, that's Growth Assistance started within a month of that conversation. So February, 2021, we launched and which at the end of February that year, looking back at where I was a year previous, it was the ride was, was wild emotionally. Like I was freaking out that, you know, there, I wasn't going to have a job. I wasn't going to be able to create a business. And then things did line up as they were supposed to the universe aligned, I guess. So, so we started Growth Assistant. 
that that's how we that's how we we got there. That was a really long answer. I mean, it's it's fascinating. So it's February 2021. You're full time parenting still because I assume schools aren't back in session, and you're starting this startup with with Jesse. What are the first steps? Yeah. Um, so the first steps, what Jesse got the domain, got an official email. And why'd you guys pick growth assistant? You know, I've, I've, I've analyzed this kind of from my perspective and I thought it was, I think it's a genius move, but can you give me a, a little bit of like the, the inside baseball on that? Yeah. So growth marketing was kind of the, the area where we're focusing, right? So growth assistant, growth marketing, we thought those lined up well together the assistant space, like people were used, not, they actually weren't used to it. They're getting more used to like a virtual assistant or what an executive assistant does. So we thought we, it, it teed up nicely, like what this company is about. And with the idea, I mean, growth is in so many different levels of our business, but if our, if we're doing our jobs, right, our assistants should help your business grow because your strategy person is doing more strategy work and we will, we will scale together, but growth, I think growth in general, there was a lot of personal growth happening around that time too. Like it was just a, a, a word that Jesse and I thought lined up that lined up well. We played around with the growth assistant or my growth assistant. We played around with a lot of them. Yeah. We learned from Facebook that it shouldn't be the Facebook. So I'm glad you guys went with growth assistant. Yeah, I think, you know, my, my observation there was you guys are starting an outsourced firm and like you could say, Hey, we don't want to be too focused because we can help with outsourcing anything, accounting, paralegal work, yeah. uh, basic operations work. And I actually really liked that you guys went vertical. Cause I think it's much easier to market and communicate that. And then, you know, maybe when you're very profitable, then you can start adding on services, which I think you guys have, it seems like, uh, from your website. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So we started out with digital marketers and graphic designers were kind of our first roles. We've expanded a ton since then. And digital marketers, so so like I run, let's say I run an e-commerce company that sells socks. And like, of course, I'm running ads on Facebook and Google. What roles are you most likely helping with? Yeah, I love how you're breaking this down because this is basically how a sales call goes because a lot of people don't know what they can and how they how they can use a growth assistant. So it's part of our job to educate. Digital marketing in general, um, Jesse, Jesse actually has said this before, is like where software was in the 90s. It's pretty heavy like implementation wise, not as user-friendly yet. It will, I'm sure it'll optimize and get there eventually, but right now it's not. So with every Facebook ad, there's, you know, there's X amount of steps you have to take to get that ad launched. And a lot of that's very manual, a lot of click here, upload this, tag this correctly, change the audience, all of these different pieces to a Facebook ad that could be an easy SOP for someone. What's happened over time, like as this field has evolved is that the, you know, the growth marketers, the, the people coming up with the strategies are doing the, you know, the implementation work that I just described, but also the um, reporting for it. So how do those ads perform? That could take 20 to 30% of a digital marketers or growth marketers day or week. Think as a business owner, if you gave your strategy person 30% of their time back, you're turning low ROI task into a very high ROI task and getting more strategy. You know, if that person's able to launch 30% more ads, you know, you should see scale in your business. That yeah, nice? that's really interesting. I've played with the, I haven't played, I've ran a lot of Facebook ads in the past and it, it is like complex and it takes an insane amount of time. Um, so, so I totally yeah. identify with, uh, with the need for those types of roles. 
Another one, I was going to describe the designer role as well, because that one, especially for e-com, where you have you have a t-shirt business, you need you now want the background of this t-shirt snippet. You want that red or green or to say fall sale or summer sale. All of these small tweaks or edits or even to resize it because Facebook needs a different size than another channel, than another channel. All of these small, small things, you're either paying a designer very high dollar to do, and it's kind of low priority for them when an offshore solution, that's a perfect role for, for an offshore solution. Yeah, that makes sense. So you, you two decide that you're going to hire for these two roles. And then what happens? Like, do you go out and you hire a few people to fill those roles? Or do you start marketing your service to your friends and just saying, Hey, we're doing this thing, sign up. Yeah. So, so the one, like one of the unfair advantages we had coming into this is Jesse's network. So he built a, um, uh, digital marketing agency and was CEO of that. And then about the time growth assistant started, he had kind of stepped back to more of a chairman position. He has a massive network, digital marketing and growth marketers in-house brand teams would ask him to come in and like, Hey, just like give us your opinion on things. And so he would do this all the time. This is partly where the idea came from. So on these kind of round tables that he would have with these in-house brand teams, he would just be like, why, why can't you guys get more done? Like what's going on? And, and what came together was Ampush, the, the digital marketing agency he owned used offshore solutions to do a lot of this. And these in-house brand teams were not using those solutions. So that's kind of how this this idea came to be. So the the unfair advantage that he had bringing to the table here is his network. So we started really, I mean, he this is a lot of times how we got some of the big logos on our website is that he had he knew someone there, right? So we had an introduction. Before we started the business, I talked with probably 10 big logos who all said, I need this service like a year ago. I give me two when we sign up, like when you, when are you turning it on so I can sign up for two? So like it, we never really had to go do like a massive marketing push at first. Yeah. And your business model is you charge some percentage of the salary of, that you're paying. these. It's folks? actually different than that. So our, it's a subscription model. So for us, this is kind of what separates us from some of the other models. You know, some models out there are like more marketplace where you're providing a marketplace for a project and a freelancer to come together. Other models are more like headhunter, where they'll just go find you the head and then here you go and everybody kind of parts ways. Ours is more relationship, like long-term partnership driven. We find full-time people to embed long, you know, it's it's a short contract. It's a month-to-month contract technically, but we're building long-term relationships. So we're, you know, we're holding on to all the HR functions that come involved with managing people in offshore. Part of it is access to our talent. Uh, we have a great reputation in the Philippines and we're attracting great talent. Our process is a little different. The client does the client doesn't interview anyone. Um, we get very aligned upfront on the job description and and what this person will be doing. And we're very upfront and saying, no, we can't we can't do that, or that's a unicorn position, you know, it doesn't exist. We're not going to promise you we can find that. So we, uh, you know, we're pretty candid with everybody. And then, and then we go find the talent. So we do all the vetting. This is where my people ops genius comes in is my brain has this like matching engine component that I think is, is my genius. And that comes out in people operations. So I've been able to kind of operationalize like what I put together before 
to be able to vet the talent and assess and, you know, do a full assessment. So that way, when we show up on the kickoff call with the client, that's the first time the client's meeting the GA, they're off to the races after that. The clients, so, so the client is very hands-off. They're like, great. They're here. Here we go. Here are my SOPs. Here what I want. Here's what I want you to do. And then we continue to build that relationship, check in on both. Sometimes, you know, a, a client, depending on where they are, what their business needs, they may need a digital marketer for three months, but then decide, you know what, we're scaling back that operation, but we're going to, we're pivoting our business. We now need a designer. So then we come in and we flip-flop. So we we're kind of more of a partner, a talent partner mm-hmm. um, than like a, like a quick marketplace. And yeah, I we, like think, that. we think we're taking a lot of the risk out of the marketplace model by being that solution. It's not for everybody. Like some, you know, it, it's not the the best fit for everybody, but for the, for our clients, it seems to work really well. So our model, the, the question you asked was about pricing. Um, our fee structure is depending on the role, we start at $3,000 a month. It's a flat fee. It's like a subscription model. So every month you have the GA, you know, that gets you basically a full-time GA for those for that month. There are premium levels depending on if we need to go outside of our typical job description for the most of our roles are that $3,000 per month. And then on the back end, if you have this digital marketer that works with the company for three months and then they cycle off and another client doesn't need them, do you guys try to keep them on your payroll or are they usually out there looking for another consulting gig? We try to keep them on our payroll. So we build in on, on both sides, but like on the, on the, if a client needs to wind down a position, we usually have a 30 day notice is what we ask for. So that gives us 30 days to find that, to make another good client match for that growth assistant, you know, and the client's always what's best for the growth assistant too. So if two weeks into that, we find someone, most clients are like, great. Like, yeah, I really want this person to have great next opportunity. And they release them a couple of weeks ahead of time. If, if we find that match sooner. Got it. What's been the most surprising part of of running this type of business? So when I talk to people about it, I think I, because I haven't in building a business yet, I haven't experienced a ton of failure or like it was hard to find clients and stuff like, like kind of those struggles. I'm a little naive to it. When people say that is amazing. I'm like, oh, I just, this is what feels normal to me, you know? So I think that that has been the most surprising really is that, that this seems so different than uh, you know a, a lot of other entrepreneurs that I talk to on the experience. We haven't paid for any ads yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're almost two years in and we've got a wait list still. So I'm working on hiring more salespeople to you know bring that wait list down. But it really started within a couple months. We were in a newsletter and all of a sudden I had 14 inbound from that newsletter. And then it was like, Jesse did a Twitter thread that we had no idea what it was going to do. And we had 300 inbound and it was just me. I was selling, it was only me selling. Hmm. I had to go hire my, like my first recruiter. Another thing that's been, I'll say surprising in a, in a great way uh, that, you know, I don't think I fully appreciated starting the business because I've built my business with growth assistance. I have, so my core team is about 25 in the Philippines. And I started with Philippine staff totally. And only this year have hired four onshore people because I started that way. When I meet another entrepreneur, I can explain how I've grown my business doing, you know, exactly what they're trying to do with the service that I'm providing. So it's been awesome to get to, to be with businesses at the same point and scale together 
and like share stories. I'm able to say what worked for another person who was just in their spot as an entrepreneur. So I feel like at the end of the day, my motivation is helping people. I feel like we're truly helping people scale their business, understand how to delegate, come up with SOPs. Like, you know, we're helping with all of that. I totally believe that. In my first business, uh, we had close to 50 people in the Philippines. I I love the country. I love the people and the culture there. And it was this great two-sided equation because on our side, it was creating incredible leverage and value. And then in the Philippines, like they love us, you know, and they love the like culture of the company and like everything that we built there. So I felt like we were, I felt like it was a win-win. So I'm totally with you and Many of my companies since have been folks in the Philippines and, and a lot of the people that actually worked with me in that first company are still working with me today, which I, which is really fun. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing on the talent side that was surprising and a little disheartening to start actually was as I interviewed talent and figured out why they were looking for a new role. So many people mistreat offshore solutions too. So, you know, one of my goals when starting was that I'm, you know, this is my company's not about that. I I will be a resource for people to come to when they're, when they want to take the risk out of that side of the equation. So many people just never paid their Filipino workers, even in the larger company settings. Like I would say it's not the standard that I would run my company to. Right. Yeah. Um, And so that's super important. My, (laughs) my, you know, my Philippine staff had healthcare before, before I had healthcare. It is, I want to provide a, like dignity needs to be in all levels of our business. Yeah, I totally agree. I've, I've seen some really bad situations out there and uh, and we feel the same way, like provide a place people love to work. Um, and, and I'm glad, glad to hear that we share that ethos. You know, one of the things that I really love about your business and like there's this misconception in the world that if there's a solution already out there, like I shouldn't build it competitors are going to crush me. There's no space in the market. And it can feel that way when you haven't been an entrepreneur or when you haven't built a business. Um, And I think one of the beautiful things about your company is like for a hundred years, there have been recruiting firms or some sort of like recruiting help firms, like even outsource firms, right? Like I've been using Upwork for a decade. Not enough people use it, but you can go and you can hire folks or task us has been around for like, you know, maybe 10 years. Now they're a huge company that outsources quite a bit to the Philippines. And yet like in 2019 or 2021, you guys show up and you say, Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do this for a segment of the market that maybe isn't using enough outsourced help and we're going to chart our own path. And you've built a business that today does 6 million of revenue. And I'm just curious, like one, how did you feel about that? You know, like going into it and knowing that there's all these forces out there. And two, do you have any advice for other entrepreneurs that kind of might be intimidated by competition in the world? I think I probably was intimidated by it at first of of like, why would we go? This seems totally saturated. But once, once we decided, you know, we were specializing, there was no one doing what we were doing and the service level we're providing kind of sets it apart too. So then I started, and and I obviously then started reading more and more on this industry and how large this industry is. We are such a small player, (laughs) if people would even consider us a player. One thing that helped get over that was how many people who had started similar businesses were willing to just have a conversation to talk to me about it. Like no one was protecting information. Everybody knows how big this pie is. It was nice to have people who were just willing to like throw out a tip or just entertain a phone call so I could learn. Yeah, definitely. So takeaway, if it's a big market and you're providing a 
service that people need, it doesn't really matter. Like the competition doesn't matter. You can carve out your own piece of the yeah. pie. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And you know, when the pie is so large, your little piece of the pie doesn't have to be that big and can be substantial. You're going to start making pies in a town that had like eight other pie makers. Maybe that wouldn't be the right time to start making pie, but if you, if you truly believe you can provide a pie better than anyone else and that, you know, that would be appealing to people, then go for it. I also was at a point in my like career and life where I was like, I was ready for it and was considering a bunch of other options. Like I was just at that point. I know like I've been at that point for many years, I think, but then finally, you know, finally made the jump. I think when people start feeling like they want to make the jump, they should make the jump. Because then you're forced to really move forward. Then you're kind of forced into action. Kind of that analysis paralysis can set in if it's way too long. Yeah. I, I like the analogy of, of burning the ships. You know that story? I guess there's like some famous Greek. I, I'm going to butcher this, but I want to say it was like okay. a f- famous like Greek battle where uh, like a small group of Greek warriors went to battle the Persian army. And apparently the Persian army was huge. And when they got there, the commander ordered his group to burn all of their ships so that nobody could escape or return. So they had to fight and they had to win. Their only yeah. way to their only way out was if they won. So I, I love the concept of of burning all your ships. You, you kind of did that. You left your job and you said, I'm going to yeah. make this happen, you know, and it, it fortunately worked out for you. Sometimes it takes a little bit more time for other folks. Um, I do have maybe one last question and I'm curious, you know, what advice would you have for 18 year old you? Don't wait so long to do it. You know, I think the universe aligned as it, as it was supposed to for me, but I, you know, now doing this once, every day. And I'm sure you're like this as well. You're like, man, I could, I could do this and I could do that. You just have a, you have another, uh, you have more confidence in yourself and uh, there's going to be things that we fail at too. I realize that that, you know, that'll come at, at, at some point. And there's been little failures along the way that we've learned from, I think approaching it, like to do it earlier is what I, not at 18. I don't think I would have done it at 18. I think I've had a lot of lessons that have led me to, to where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and make me that much better in the role, but to have the confidence that, that you can do it. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Adrian, um, I know you're on Twitter. Is there anywhere you want folks to, to find you or reach out? What, what kind of energy or manifestations are you putting out into the world for people listening? Yeah, my, I think Twitter is probably the best, like send a DM on Twitter or, you know, you can always visit the website. There's a little form there. If you're, if you think it's a service that you might want, mm-hmm. um, there's a little form there and, and we get back to people pretty quickly, but if for any like personal questions or follow-up Twitter is the best. Adrian, this was great. I know you're super busy running an awesome business. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing your story. Yeah. Thanks for chatting. This was great. I like the fluidity of this. Uh, you know, I've done it. I've done a few podcasts now and this, this felt nice. Awesome. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. And that's it for this week's episode of Boring Businesses. I'm your host, Sieva Kaczynski. Thank you for watching or listening today. Any resources we mentioned during the show, we'll make sure to link in the show notes or below the video. If you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify, please leave me a review. It really helps me learn and it allows other people to discover the podcast as well. Thanks again. And make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button if you haven't already. I'll see you next time.